Hello, and thank you for downloading this program from Starry Decisis Radio, where we discuss all the judgments of the United Kingdom Supreme Court. My name is Mark Tottenham. In this show, I shall discuss the case of Shahid versus the Scottish Ministers, which was decided on the 14th of October 2015. The citation for the case is 2015 UK SC 58. The key in this issue in this case concerned whether the appellant, a life prisoner, had been lawfully segregated from other prisoners for a period amounting to over four years and whether it had been a breach of his human rights. A particular concern in this case was the role of a body called the Executive Committee for the Management of Difficult Prisoners, or ECMDP, which had responsibility for supervising the appellant. In this case, the appellant had been convicted with two other persons of the racially aggravated abduction and murder of a 15-year-old boy. This was a particularly appalling crime in that the boy had been randomly abducted from the public street, repeatedly stabbed and set alight with petrol. The appellant had been extradited from Pakistan to stand trial and he was remanded in custody in Barlini on his return in 2005. He was segregated from other prisoners the day after his imprisonment, following an accusation of assaulting another prisoner. He was segregated until August of the following year, when he was transferred to Edinburgh to stand trial. While in prison in Edinburgh, he was accommodated in the mainstream regime, and no incidents were recorded during a period of almost two months. Following his conviction, he was returned to prison in Barlini and immediately segregated again. Over the following years, he was transferred to a number of Scottish prisons and segregated for almost all of the time until 2010. At that stage, he complained to the Scottish Public Services Ombudsman and provision was made for him to be reintegrated into the prison population. In total, he had been segregated for a period of four years and eight months. The provision for segregating prisoners was set out in the Scottish prison rules. This provided that the governor of a prison could segregate a prisoner for up to 72 hours. If he wished the prisoner to be segregated for a further period, authorisation had to be given by the Scottish ministers prior to the expiration of the 72 hours. At that stage, the prisoner could be segregated for up to a month, and any further period of segregation had to be ordered prior to the end of each authorised period. There was no question in this case but that the time limits had not been adhered to on several occasions, but that the appellant had remained in segregation. Also of concern, however, was the role of the Executive Committee for the Management of Difficult Prisoners, or ECMDP. This was a non-statutory body consisting of prisoner governors, whose role was to consider the management of prisoners who were considered difficult. The body was supposed to recommend action to assist with the reintegration of difficult prisoners to mainstream conditions. Soon after his initial detention on remand, the appellant had been considered at a meeting of the ECMDP. According to its minutes, the appellant was to remain segregated until his trial commenced, even though his trial did not start until 10 months later. The proceedings by the appellant were commenced in 2007 when he sought legal aid for judicial review. He was finally granted legal aid in 2010. The judicial review was initially refused by the Lord Ordinary, Lord Malcolm, in 2011, and an appeal to the inner house of the Court of Session was dismissed in 2014. In the Supreme Court, a number of issues were considered. 
These include, number one, whether the non-observance of the time limits rendered the segregation unlawful. Number two, whether the segregation of the prisoner was in breach of the prohibition on torture or inhumane or degrading treatment under Article 3 of the European Convention on Human Rights. Number three, whether the segregation was a violation of the rights to private and family life under Article 8 of the Convention. And number four, whether the just satisfaction of any breach required an award of damages to the prisoner. The decision was delivered by Lord Reed, and it was unanimous. First of all, in relation to the non-observance of the time limits, he said the only way in which this could not have been rendered the segregation unlawful would be if there had been a clear drafting mistake in the legislation, or if the plain meaning of the legislation gave rise to absurd or perverse consequences. In this case, however, the plain meaning of the legislation was consistent with its purpose. The only conclusion that could be reached was that the authority to segregate the prisoner was invalid and that his segregation was unauthorised. Lord Reed took the view that the segregation did not amount to a breach of the prohibition on degrading treatment. The segregation had been imposed at least partially in the interest of the prisoner's own safety. While he was segregated for 20 to 22 hours per day, he was permitted to associate with other prisoners when he was released from his cell. He had access to a gym in the segregation unit. He was entitled to visits and to use prison telephones, and had occasional visits from an imam. Overall, considering the human rights case law, his segregation did not amount to the minimum level of severity for a violation of Article 3. In relation to Article 8, however, while it was accepted that the segregation was an interference with the right to private life, the question was whether it had a legitimate aim, whether it was in accordance with the law, and whether it was necessary and proportionate to achieve the legitimate aim. Lord Reed took the view that it did pursue a legitimate aim, which was the safety of the prisoner. In considering whether it was in accordance with the law, he was critical of the role of the ECMDP in determining the segregation of the prisoner. He said, and this is quite a long quotation, The only reasonable conclusion which can be drawn is that some of the decisions taken by the local management to segregate the appellant were not taken in the exercise of their own independent judgment but proceeded on the basis that the relevant judgment had already been made, or would be made, by the ECMDP. They proceeded, in other words, not on the basis that the ECMDP was performing an advisory function, but that it was taking decisions which they were expected to follow. Whether or not the ECMDP expected its decisions to be viewed in that way is beside the point. What matters is whether the power of decision was in reality exercised independently by the person to whom it was entrusted by the legislation. End of quotation. In considering whether the segregation was proportionate, Lord Reed looked to the alternatives available to segregation. He said, and again this is quite a long quotation, Every prison system has prisoners who are unable, for a variety of reasons, to serve their sentences in the mainstream. This may be because they require protection from other prisoners, because of the nature of their offence, their cooperation with the criminal justice authorities, inter-gang rivalries, debts inside or outside the prison, or the general vulnerability of the person. It may be because they themselves present a threat to the safety of other prisoners, 
or because their behaviour is liable to jeopardise the good order of the prison. In the first instance, such prisoners can be removed from association and located in a segregation unit. However, they cannot be held in segregation indefinitely. The basic obligation which the prison system attempts to secure by the segregation of prisoners for the purpose of protection to provide a safe environment for those confined to prison is ultimately inconsistent with the use of segregation as a long-term measure. There are, however, ways in which states can fulfil this obligation over the long term in respect of prisoners who remain at, at risk of harm. One option is to identify particular locations as accommodation for prisoners who are likely to be unsuitable for mainstream accommodation for a prolonged period. Such locations might accommodate small groups of prisoners with reduced levels of association and increased officer supervision. End of quotation. In considering whether an award of damages was appropriate, Lord Reed noted that there had been no injury to the prisoner's health and that the segregation had not been total. Accordingly, he decided that a declaratory order that the, the detention had been unlawful and was in breach of Article 8 of the Convention of Human Rights was sufficient and that no damages were payable. My only comment in relation to this judgment is that a declaratory order is of limited benefit to the prisoner in question once he has been removed from solitary confinement. An award of damages would at least demonstrate that the prisoner had suffered from an administrative wrong. Furthermore, there is no suggestion that those who had failed to comply with their obligations towards the prisoner were penalised in any way for their actions or omissions. Clearly, the Supreme Court does not have the power to impose punishment in a case of this sort. However, it is worth remembering that any administrative system is staffed by individuals. When the system violates the human rights of a person, it is the individuals rather than the system itself who should be held accountable. Thank you very much for listening to this programme. If you have any comments, please see the Starry Decisis Radio Facebook page or Twitter account. And if you have enjoyed this programme, please tell your friends and colleagues about Starry Decisis Radio.